first of all, I basically don't trust anyone or anything. I'm extremely skeptical <laughs> and untrusting. But I'm always trying to figure out, like, which organic grocery chain is cheating me? And also, like, who do I know that's a pedophile? Well, 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 good evening to me. Hello to you at whatever time of day you're in. This is not for everyone. And this is a solo episode this week. This is the Hater Hour. Welcome to the Hater Hour. Hosted by me, your hater, Caroline. My lover and co-partner, Jess, is out this week. I don't think for any reason. I think we're just throwing some solo ups in. Well, she did a solo up, and now I'm doing one. That's why. I'm pretty excited about this episode. Jess and I actually recorded a regular two-person episode like two hours ago, and the episode we just recorded felt so good. I'm so excited about it, so I'm on a high, even though in this episode, I want to talk about some heavy things, some heavier things. I'm going to call this the anxiety episode. I'm going to talk about all the things that I have not been talking about on the podcast. Things that were too raw and too live, I guess, to talk about. I'm going to talk about them here. I'm talking about them today. And yeah, I'm calling this the anxiety episode from my perspective, from someone who struggles a lot. But I'm happy that I'm in a really good light mood because I think laughing, <laughs> I think laughing is the key. I think laughing is the key to all of it. And I don't actually mean that in the cheesy way that it sounds. I'll say more about it later. But we're going to do an anxiety episode today for everybody who is really (laughs) drowning in their anxiety the way that I often am. You know, I've heard advice, so much advice about like being anxious or being a nervous person is like, fake it till you make it. Like, fake the confidence. you You know what? As soon as you say that, it tells me you have no idea what I'm talking about. If you tell me fake it till you make it, that just tells me you don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) That's all that tells me. I feel like for me, that's like, you know, I think we all have things we lend ourselves to, things that come more naturally to us or don't. I like I struggle with cooking. I struggle with cooking (laughs) because I have no palate and no taste like no like sense of taste I mean I have a sense that works but I have no like palate that's the word I have no real developed palate and sometimes I ask people for advice I'm like well how do you cook how do you know when something tastes good and they're like oh you just taste as you go you season and taste as you go you trust your instinct what does it taste like to you and I'm like okay you have no idea what I'm working with then that uh, that advice is so unhelpful I, the only flavor I know is salt or chocolate or peanut butter. Those are the only flavors I can differentiate between. Taste as you go does not, season as you go, this does not apply to me. You, you, you've, you have no idea where I'm starting from with cooking. I'm not doing it. Like you're describing a different kind of food experience that I can't relate to. And that's how I feel about the, just fake it till you make it. It's like, okay, we live different lives. And there's plenty of things I will fake. I've faked my way into almost every career I've ever had. But faking your way through anxiety, it's not helpful advice to me. And I actually don't even really think it's healthy advice. So I want to share advice that has helped me with my struggles with anxiety. Not as a professional who knows what she's talking about. Not as any kind of professional. I am not but specifically as somebody who struggles. Usually in my content on YouTube, in the videos I make, or on the podcast, I answer a lot of questions confidently. If it's a what to do that somebody writes in, or a video topic, or whatever it is, I answer confidently because I only choose to speak about the things I feel confident about. I make videos about breakups. I make content about how to make friends. I'll talk about things confidently if it's an area I feel I have a lot of experience in, if it's an area I feel like I made really good headway in. 
And then there are these all these other things that you will never see me talking about. I just avoid all the topics that I don't have answers for. You know, when somebody writes in with a question, I, I don't answer all the questions that come in. If I don't feel like I feel confident about my advice or my perspective or my input or my experience, then I don't address that. But struggling with anxiety is one of those. <laughs> it is such a huge problem for me. So I just avoid talking about it because I don't feel like I have the answers. I like I feel like I'm somebody who really struggles and and I don't always want a live process I've found in making content. It can be tricky to share on the podcast or on YouTube things that you're like actively working through. I think it can be tricky to do that. So sometimes I try to let things marinate for a little bit, which is so funny because you just and I talk about all the time. Like the main thing in our lives, the main things that are happening in our lives, we really can't talk about live on the podcast. So it's a funny thing to show up to these recordings week after week and be talking about, you know, topics of self-development or personal growth or spiritual growth or relationship learning. And really, I'm skirting around the biggest thing I've been struggling with, which for the last many months has been... Um, anxiety in my relationships in general and especially in my relationship with my boyfriend. I'm extremely, extremely anxious, extremely nervous to the point where it's like kind of near debilitating. Um, This anxiousness for me will, will kind of latch on to anything, including my friendships, including my siblings, including my family, you know, just everybody's going to leave me. Everybody hates me. Boyfriend's going to leave me. Boyfriend must hate me. That kind of thing. I'm doing a lot of work on it and I don't have answers because it's a it's an active struggle. But there are a couple of things that have really, really helped me recently. And I think I've processed enough that I at least want to share those things. So this is my advice as someone who is actively drowning <laughs> and things that are immediately helping me. I don't want to overshare about my personal relationship with Justin, but I will share just for context, for a little specificity. It's just been, it's just felt shockingly hard. I have been shocked at how difficult it has been to believe that a good person who I admire is choosing to be good to me. It's felt incredibly hard to believe. I mean, to the point where I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it Uh, and I've gone through a lot of different phases of coming up with different reasons that it's not real it's not really happening he must be deceiving me there's this great conspiracy like really intense stuff stuff that has gone to the point where it's like it's threatening it's gonna it will deteriorate our relationship if it goes on and I want to be really clear that there is nothing he's done to earn those feelings from me it's just been really hard for me to trust and I want to talk about that because I'd never struggled with that before I never thought of myself as someone who struggled with trusting in a relationship and so I was really kind of blindsided by it and I know a lot of people struggle with that a lot of people write in about that or just feeling insecure in a relationship so I'm going to share what has helped me so far. I will say one of the first questions I see people write in about a lot actually and I've avoided answering because I was like I don't know. (laughs) People write in a lot saying how do you tell the difference between your anxiety and your intuition? Like when you have a really nervous feeling about someone or something how do you know if it's because you're reacting to the situation and you should be nervous, and that and that's your instincts, or how do you know if it's just your anxiety? I think I've really struggled with that a lot, because if you're really anxious, you can, like, I'm a very creative person. I can come up, like, if I need to, I can come up with reasons to be anxious. I can come up with ways to attach it to concrete things in my life. It will attach to something. And I think that's the really tricky thing with anxiety as well as depression is like 
it kind of looks like it's attached to a real thing. It kind of looks like it's about this, but it's really just attaching to that. You know, when I feel really good about things with Justin and I feel really confident, sometimes I have moments of feeling just really secure and stable and confident. Then I start feeling really anxious about my friends and they must all be leaving me. It'll attach to something. Or if I'm feeling okay about my friends, then I'm thinking about my siblings. They must all be leaving me. Like it will attach to something. And in any moment, I can creatively, artistically come up with reasons why any of these people might be leaving me. Like I can write a narrative about it. So it felt really hard to pull those things apart. And I think ultimately the thing I had to ask myself when I was like, is this my instincts? Should I be listening to my gut? Or is this just anxiety, paranoia? The question I asked was, what would I like to change? Uh, You know, if I'm going to assume that my boyfriend doesn't deserve my trust, if that were the case, like, what would I need to change? What would I need him to do differently? What behavior would I need to see? How would I need him to act differently, speak to me differently? What would I need to see in his actions? Like, what about the situation would need to change in order for me to feel like it was something worth trusting? And when I asked myself that question, there was nothing I would want to change. Actually, there was really nothing reasonable that I would want to change. I didn't need more text or increased communication. I didn't need different forms of affection. The affection was there. The communication was there. The consistency was there. There was nothing that reasonably should change. And when I say reasonable, I mean like, I think a part of me would like Justin to quit his job and just stare at me 24-7 and tell me he loves me forever and hold my hand until I'm dead. If he could do that, I would take it. I'm not going to turn that down, but I don't think that's really reasonable. So as far as like what, what reasonable actions are that deserve trust, it's happening. So that to me was kind of the, the thing that helped distinguish what I think is a really tricky question. Is this instinct or is this my own problem? Oh, I just lost my notes. Don't do that. That's annoying. Hello? (laughs) So that helped me differentiate a little bit whether something was my gut instinct or just total paranoia. And I think one of the next giant game changers for me in dealing with this anxiety is really, really not doing the fake it till you make it. Like doing the opposite of that, basically, like really accepting, honestly accepting this thing. That's a challenge for me. And that took a couple different forms. I was in therapy, talking to my therapist about like, I was just having a really hard time believing that this guy, Justin, was really like, did he really know who he was choosing? Well, like, why would he want to be with this like, random YouTuber person. I'm so different from him. Like, I guess I must have completely fooled him about who I am. Am I even being myself with him? This is earlier on in dating. And my therapist was like, well, you know, I know you haven't shared any of like this spiral of anxiety with him. And I'm wondering, and I'm thinking it might be hard for you to feel like he's really choosing you if you haven't shown him who you are if you never show him like all of who you are how are you ever gonna feel confident that he knows who he's choosing she was like I don't think I believed my husband really loved me until he saw all of the ugliest parts of me and to say it I guess it sounds so obvious like duh but For so long, I felt like this anxiety thing, you know, I was just judging it. I was repressing it. I was trying to hide it. Um, I was mad at myself for it. When I would get anxious, I would judge it, and that would lower my self-esteem further. 
And then I would be more anxious because I'd even lower self-esteem. And then seeing my self-esteem tank because I was feeling anxious would make me judge myself even more, which would tank my self-esteem more. And it was this really vicious cycle that all kind of stems not from anxiety itself, but from me judging myself for anxiety, judging myself for the way I was struggling, um, feeling a lot of shame. That cycle of judging it and trying to stop it actually kept tanking my self-esteem worse and worse and making me feel like less and less deserving. And so it did really ring true. My therapist talked about this. Actually, that's not true. It didn't ring true. I thought it was an annoying thing of her to say, but I trusted her. and I thought I would do it anyway. So I started sharing with Justin more of my like feelings of anxiety. And at this point, he knows the fucking deal. He knows the deal. He basically knows who I am and what he's dealing with. Blah, blah, blah. So I really recommend like sharing, you know, sharing the parts of you that you judge as being the ugly parts. If it's the real deal, like they need to know it's going to come out eventually. And if it never comes out, you actually never get to be known. And then what's the point anyway? Uh, There's a book that has helped me so, so much. I'm reading and rereading it like religiously at this point, Radical Acceptance. It's helped me with anxiety, but it's really not about anxiety. It's about whatever that thing is in you that you have so much shame about because shame is the killer and it's like my best friend. But whatever that thing is you have so much shame about, um, your habits, your uh, intellect, your talent, your job, your family situation, your insecurity, your anxiety in your relationship, your imposter syndrome, like whatever the thing is you have shame about, we all have that like shadowy shame thing. Um, Radical Acceptance is the book I recommend. Check it out. I'm not going to do a whole overview of it, but it's just, I can open any page in it and read a passage when in a moment of struggle and it helps me throughout the day but it just talks a lot about looking head-on and looking honestly at the thing you're struggling with so Justin knows the ongoing deal with me what I'm struggling with but there's still kind of this panic that arises in me when I start feeling anxious and sometimes nothing causes it like I just wake up I just wake up one day and I'm feeling so anxious you know, specifically with him. And I never knew how to handle it because I don't want to be in my head. I'm like, well, I don't want to be this like unendingly anxious, needy person. It sounds exhausting, but I also can't be hiding it all the time because that's not real. It's not honest. That's the fake it till you make it. And, and it just leaves space between us. So that also kind of kills closeness. So I was really struggling with like, what do I do in those moments of insecurity or anxiety or nervousness or panic? And to me, the antidote has been like trying to acknowledge it in a light and silly way. Because when I get really anxious, the things I do, I pull away. Justin has observed, I will stop making eye contact. I immediately want time alone. Like I just, I just want to block people out of my life. I don't want to give them access to me. I don't want them to even look at me. I don't, I literally like, I don't want to be looked in the eye because it feels too vulnerable and I don't want to give myself to people anymore. And I take time alone. Um, I don't want to look at people and, and I get very serious. Like I lose my whole sense of humor. I just get very serious. And so in those moments now when I'm feeling really anxious and I think it feels worth just flagging it to Justin, just like naming the thing that is true and that's honestly happening so that he can like see his partner and I can show up and be in that moment. I will just try to say it in like a light way because it it is kind of a silly thing. It's this little annoying like anxious part of me that tags along wherever I go There's like a little weird like runt of an animal that follows me around like look at this silly guy he's here again and I'll literally like turn over him to be in bed first thing in the morning and just be like I'm feeling needy this morning I'm feeling very needy I'm feeling crazy like hello good morning 
How did you sleep? Me? I'm feeling very anxious today. I might be a little bit annoying, but I love you. And to me, that has felt really helpful (laughs) to just be like, I'm not faking it. I'm not pulling away. I'm not being avoidant. I'm not lying through my teeth in a way that you can tell. I'm saying what is true. And also, I'm not going to let it tank me. And, And there's something so freeing in that to me. It's like, I'm saying the thing that's true. And it actually can be an opportunity for us to laugh together and be like, okay, anxious Caroline is here. Okay, what's she going to do? How soon is she going to cry? And it's actually kind of like, I try as much as possible. Like recently, a thing I'm trying to do is to try really hard to make him laugh. Um, My default in anxiety is to get really serious. So now instead... I'm not going to fake confidence. I'm not going to fake a sense of security. But what I can do is make a joke. And something about that feels really, really freeing and connecting while still being honest in what I'm saying. I don't know. I would try it. You can say the thing without making it the heaviest thing ever. It doesn't have to be a whole conversation. You can just like flag it. That's what I like to do. Just flag it in a silly way. And then it actually makes me feel closer And then I can take steps forward while still feeling close as opposed to shutting down more and more. And that feeds my anxiety more and more. And I feel more and more alone in it, more and more in shame, more and more unseen, not understood, isolated on my own. It's a bad cycle for me. So that's something that really helps. On this note of radical acceptance, um, a practice I've been doing so annoying. I can't say practice unless I use that voice, but a recent practice I've been doing is when I feel like a negative feeling bubbling up in me, it applies to anxiety, but really anything. It could be anger. If you struggle with like anger outbursts or jealousy or low confidence or whatever it is. I feel it bubbling up in me, you know, I'm trying to control it, I'm trying to restrain it, but in the meantime, it might come out in like some weird comment or like I'm acting strange or I'm going to respond to someone in a way I regret. Before I get to that point, I'm taking myself to my room. I'm going to take myself to the room for for a time out. Maybe it's in the bathroom, maybe it's just sitting quietly wherever I am and just take like two minutes, five minutes to just like think about how I'm feeling. And that's it. How am I feeling? I'm feeling super insecure. I'm feeling super alone. I'm feeling um, really afraid of losing someone. I'm feeling really like everyone I know hates me. I'm so afraid of everyone I know leaving me. That's what I'm feeling. You don't have to do a psychoanalysis about it. You don't have to get to why. It's just like, this is the fear. This is the shame. This is the guilt. This is the anger, whatever the thing is, just like holding it and naming it and being like, that is so scary to me. That is feels like such a threat to me. Two to five minutes, take two to five minutes and there's nothing more to it. It's just like I radically, this is the radical acceptance thing. I radically accept this is the thing that has showed up to my door right now. And somehow in doing that, I can walk back out the door two minutes later And I don't feel like I need to shove it down someone's throat. And I don't feel like I need to cause a fight. And I don't need feel like I need to break into tears. I still usually like carry myself with intention. And I'm trying to, you know, handle my day and handle how I'm feeling. But I feel less like I'm bursting at the seams. So taking like that little private moment, I'll do it five to ten times a day. It makes the biggest difference. And it makes me more confident in my ability to continue to handle something that will probably be around forever like I'm on meds I'm in I'm in therapy but it I think it's safe to assume that this is just like a part of me I don't have to erase it it's a part of me it's okay uh and it it kind of helps instill some confidence that I can live and interact in a constructive way even through that and I think that has been the biggest mindset adjustment for me specifically in a relationship where if you feel like nervousness in any kind of relationship especially a romantic relationship 
I'm very aware that if I give in to every nervous, paranoid, anxious impulse I have in just like a super indulgent way where I'm never working on it, I'm very aware that I'm then robbing Justin of a lot of things. I'm robbing him of the opportunity to have a relationship of stability. I'm robbing him of like a sense of reliability, his own sense of security, like never knowing what he's going to get with me. It robs your partner of a lot. And so I think that's been really hard for me to figure out like how do I both radically accept and on honestly acknowledge the thing I struggle with and the thing I feel while also not robbing someone else and not basically not destroying our relationship. And the thing I realized the adjustment there is like for a while I was feeling like, okay, I just have to never have another anxious incident. I just have to never have another meltdown. And that's, that's the way I can win, which doesn't feel realistic. And actually it led to me breaking down more because I was so nervous about not having another mark on my record ever. And instead what I realized was that I can contribute to a atmosphere of stability and reliability even while occasionally having anxious meltdowns those two things can exist at the same time so to me the thing I'm working on and like aspiring to is creating stability and reliability even with anxious spells so to me that means like I'm gonna be anxious I'm gonna feel weird sometimes and Justin is going to be able to rely on the fact that I will communicate that to him and I will let him know I will flag it and I will say the things that are true and I will do my best to like communicate through it to react in like hopefully predict like reliable ways instead of just shutting down making him wonder where I am making him wonder what I'm thinking what I'm doing what I'm stewing on when I'll be back where I've gone he can expect that like when I'm super present and feeling super stable, he'll know it. And when I'm feeling really shaky and uneven, I'm going to flag it. I'm going to stick around. I'm still going to be an accessible partner. And I might cry. Um, I might need time alone. But I can like flag all of those things to him basically. And that there's a sense of like reliability and stability in that. That's not lashing out at him. That's not um, running away from him. That's not this unpredictable reaction all the time where you never know where you're going to get. In the morning, I don't know how I'm going to feel, but I'm going to let him know where I'm at. And that's what he can rely on. And um, I don't know if I'm articulating it really correctly, but that has felt like a big difference. I hope it has felt like a big difference to him. I think it has because things have been going a lot better in like trying my best to contribute to an atmosphere of stability but it's also helped me a lot to not place on top of my anxious, to not place on top of my existing anxiety, a fear of how I'm going to deteriorate everything. A fear of like, if I have one more weird incident, it's going to be over for us. Like that just compounds the anxiety. So understanding this way that I can actually communicate and show up in a reliable, stable way that includes anxiety spirals. Um, it helps me think about things very differently. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I actually don't know. And that includes a lot of conversations I've had with him about where, you know, we're, we're figuring out together, what do we hope the other will do in this scenario? Like, what's the most helpful thing each of us can do in that scenario? Um, he has come to therapy with me. We've talked about these things a lot. So a lot of just being like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do when you act this way. Like, what would you like me to do? What, what am I supposed to do? What was, what would be helpful? What should I not do? Yeah. And creating kind of like that stability and reliability for each other in that way. Okay. I'm going to share a couple more resources, um, that have really helped me. And then we're going to talk about lighter things, but there is an amazing article. I'm going to link it in this episode description. It's called how to be in relationship without abandoning yourself is a great, great article. I'm going to link it here. Nancy Collier is the author of this article. She's written a bunch of books. I'm obsessed with her books. I talk about them all the time. I've gone to workshops with her, 
like therapy retreats with her. People ask me about this all the time, so I am just going to link it all. But this topic of how to be in a relationship with somebody without abandoning yourself, it's like, I feel like this is the hardest thing I'm working on all the time. My favorite book of hers is called The Emotionally Exhausted Woman. This book just hit me in the chest and articulated a lot of um, trends I've experienced, at least with a lot of women I know, and things that I really struggle with, ways that I have tied my well-being to being liked, um, to being liked by the people around me, to pleasing people, trying to please the people around me, tying my well-being to other people's well-being, tying my well-being to how I am perceived, how people interpret me, what they'll think about me. And of course, it's not specific. It's not exclusively specific to a gender, but there is a lot around the female caretaking culture that, I don't know, I went on a whole retreat centered around this topic with Nancy, and it was like um, life-changing the emotionally exhausted woman and she and if you want to do retreats and stuff like that she hosts she hosts retreats like yoga retreats meditation retreats all the time she I'm sure she has a bunch of events right now I'm gonna link I'll link all of her stuff books events articles in this episode by the way I'm sitting here eating these Scandinavian swimmers from Trader Joe's do you know these they're basically they basically taste like Swedish fish it's a candy that Trader Joe's makes. It's basically Swedish fish, but it's actually better. It's one of those things where it's like the off-brand, like knockoff is so much better than the original. Scandinavian swimmers, as opposed to Swedish fish. Very clever title. Very clever naming. Very clever. These things, first of all, they're amazing. Um, For Valentine's Day, anyway, it doesn't matter. But something I think about all the time, speaking of my trust issues... First of all, I basically don't trust anyone or anything. I'm extremely skeptical (laughs) and untrusting. We know this. Jess knows this. (laughs) It comes up in our work together all the time. And another thing I don't trust is Trader Joe's. I don't trust Trader Joe's. I love Trader Joe's. I will buy all of my food from there. I wish there was one closer to me. But sometimes, I don't know why I just got this idea about Trader Joe's. Like, the things they make taste so good. And then that's all these like organic and like no preservative, no uh, red dye number 12, this, that, the other, whatever. Like they've got all these like amazing good for you products. And then they're also the best tasting things I've ever eaten. No, something's fishy. Something's fishy at Trader Joe's. And I just, I think like once a month I wake up and just picture a world where I wake up one day And the front page of the newspaper is just that like Trader Joe's has lied about every single ingredients and packaging they've ever put out. And it's all just like bleach and acid. And like it's all been a lie. And that's why it's been so delicious this long all the time is because they were just like, let's just fucking lie. Like who like let's just lie all the way through. Who's even going to catch us? This is something I think about Trader Joe's all the time. And this is not, they can't sue me because this is alleged. Actually, it's not alleged. No, that's not what alleged means. This is not even alleged. This is just a thought I have sometimes. And I don't know. I just get a feeling like it's too good to be true. I don't trust things that are too good to be true. You know what a big problem is? My entire life, my dad, he's got these sayings. He's got these sayings that he tortures you with if he ever catches you feeling relaxed. And one of his favorite sayings is, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is, right? You've probably heard that one. And I think about that all the time. I think about that all the time. I think that 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 saying alone has fucked my relationship both with Trader Joe's and with Justin. I'm not kidding. If it seems too good to be true, I don't trust it. Why are you loving me in such a way? Okay? How do you taste exactly like Scandinavian Swedish fish? Doesn't make any sense. But I'm always trying to figure out, like, which organic grocery chain is cheating me? 
And also like, who do I know that's a pedophile? Or who do I know that's murdered someone? Because the thing is, whenever serial killers are arrested and stuff, and they have those interviews with like family and friends, coworkers, neighbors, everybody is always like, yeah, I had no idea. Everyone's like, I never would have guessed. He was the nicest guy. She was the greatest gal. She was so friendly. She was a, he was a neighborhood pastor. She was uh, my, she was, she was just a normal girl in the office. I never would have guessed. Literally serial killers, family members are like there. Who was that one killer who would like <sighs> kill and assault little boys and he buried them in his basement. And then he also was just like a community like he was like really involved in his community church and had like two kids of his own and a wife and they were all just like we didn't know and they didn't know they didn't know and so I'm like nobody ever knows so if there's somebody you know that you're like oh they're definitely not murdering people that's actually makes them a pretty good candidate that makes them like a decent candidate for it, it makes it doesn't make them not a candidate for it if you can't imagine someone you know killing people that basically means nothing it actually might flag them as a really good suspect so I'm just always trying to figure out like who are the murderers I know and who are the pedophiles and sometimes what I'll do sometimes I'll just like close my eyes <laughs> sometimes I'll just close my eyes and be like okay if it came out newspaper headline tomorrow comes out <laughs> Just my co-host, renowned pedophile. I like, what could I look back on in what I know about Jess that would make sense? <laughs> I can't even say this with a straight face, but this is what I do. I don't do about Jess, but I do about pretty much everyone I know. And I'm always like, if I, if I, if it was proved to me that this person was a pedophile, what would I look back on and be like, huh, that does look interesting now in retrospect or like I, it's proved Jessica Biggie is a serial killer. Can you imagine? So cute. The cutest murders. What in retrospect would make a lot of sense or look a little different? Because it's only in retrospect that we're all like, oh, how didn't we know? How could not they not know? What you have to do is you have to be proactive and you have to tell yourself that your best friends are pedophiles and that your family members are murderers and then work backwards. This is not actually advice that any therapist had given me. This is just my own advice, and I'm taking it. So, yes, it is true. I do feel anxious about, about just, like, imminent danger, just, like, imminent um, threats. Or I think it's deception, really. I don't trust very easily. It's imminent deception, Threats, not so much. Like, I don't really feel that afraid of dying. I don't feel that afraid of embarrassment. It's just like, who's lying to me? What pedophiles are lying to me? And why can't they just be real with me? Okay. Ooh, you know what I want to do? Yeah, I want to do a what to do. I want to do a listen to what to do. Where's my freaking phone, dog? Hold on. Okay, wait, I'm losing my freaking mind. I just paused recording and spent 30 minutes looking for a what to do that somebody sent in. And I can't find the text chain now. So I'm just going to summarize it. But <laughs> a very sweet listener DM'd us with a what to do. I spent like a, a while DMing with her and getting all the situation <laughs> and asking follow up questions. And I don't know if she deleted her account, but I cannot find... Uh, I cannot find the text I cannot find the DM message exchange for the life of me so if you DM'd me I, I usually like to read the listener what it does verbatim um if you DM'd me and maybe deleted your account I don't know what happened I don't know what happened I feel insane I actually kind of feel drunk right now but I'm sober so much okay we're gonna do it anyway though because I thought it was a good topic a tricky nuanced topic Wow, love it. So this lovely lady DM'd the podcast describing a what to do predicament with a friend, a friendship, quote unquote, that she just has felt has always been a super one sided, really unbalanced friendship. And the kind of friendship where I think they'd been friends for like years and years. And this female friend of hers 
would self-describe them as being best friends and you're my best friend. But the listener was like, you know, despite my friends saying we're best friends, our relationship is mostly her calling me and her monologuing like endlessly, not really asking about myself. And I'm just kind of absorbing or playing therapist or just a very one-sided relationship that's gone on for years and years and years. And to make matters more complicated, the listener was made the godmother of this so-called friend's daughter. So she's in a one-sided friendship where she feels like she's just catering to the monologues of this person. But she's also kind of now like family because she's the godmother to her child. In addition to that, the friend recently emailed or wrote a letter or something to the listener and this one-sided friend wrote an email or letter to the listener and basically like professed her love for her and I I started DMing at this point because I was like is this a platonic love or is more than that is a romantic love and she said it was romantic it was very much not platonic so her friend they've been friends for a while felt very one-sided, already felt exhausting, already felt draining, already felt hard to draw a line after years and years of friendship, even more complicated where now she feels this responsibility um, to her goddaughter and the friend who is in a relationship. They are both in committed relationships, then professed her romantic love for the friend, like she's in love with the friend, in love. And... um. And the listener who wrote in felt really uncomfortable about it, felt like so many boundaries had been crossed for years and now to like the nth degree and just didn't know how to respond. And I, I messaged with her a little bit and was like, OK, what's the question, I guess? Or what are what are you wanting? What are you feeling? Which I do feel like is like the main thing you have to define for yourself in these. It's not a, it's not a clear cut, easy scenario. Like if she had just stopped with it's a one-sided friendship, that's already hard enough. That's something people write in about all the time. And I think it is really, really difficult. And I don't have, as Jess would say, a magic bullet answer. I think the hard questions, they're hard for a reason. They're hard because she sounds like an empathetic person, a patient, kind, giving person, um, who's probably spent a lot of time giving the benefit of the doubt, probably gives a lot to a lot of people. And that's probably actually something she's good at. And um, I'm sure this one-sided friend is not a complete monster. Like, if people are a complete monster, that's the thing I always think about these what-to-dos. It's like, you only have a few sentences to write in. You have to condense it down to an oversimplified thing. And I do want to acknowledge that. Like, of course, these situations are so much more complicated than any little DM to us can contain. If it was really clear cut, if this person was just a villain or just a monster, it, it, it wouldn't be a conundrum. It's complicated. It's easy to give advice from the outside when I don't have to know a lot of details. I just get to hear the problems. I just get to hear the hangups. That's something I'm trying to keep in mind more. So I don't have the magic bullet answer. And I think most of these conundrums, especially in personal relationship issues with family, with friends, with friends that are kind of now family and you're a godmother and whatever, slash also they're romantically interested in you. It's just incredibly nuanced. And you're trying to be a good person and you're trying to do the right thing. And you're also trying to not like drown in the meantime. And it feels really complicated. And the thing that I've found that has been really comforting to me in those times, I think I really want certainty. I think most of us do. We just want like the clear answer. We want the right answer. What's the right answer? What's the right move? What's the answer? That's how I feel a lot. And what's so much harder than going full steam ahead into the friendship, carrying it on at full steam, or turning your back on them and cutting them out completely. Like those are the two extremes on the spectrum, right? Cut them out completely or continue full steam ahead completely. What's so much harder is the in-between. And the answer is usually somewhere in-between. The answer is some, usually some kind of middle ground. 
and it's not usually a black or white thing right now. And that's so dissatisfying in a way. But I find that that's usually the truth and the thing that both feels right in a way that can respect yourself and hopefully respect another person is this murky middle ground. And that answer doesn't make for a super fun, flashy what to do response. But I think it's the truth in so many of these situations that I find like, first and foremost, whatever that conundrum is in your life that feels so messy and murky, I'm trying more and more to remind myself like, you don't have to make a move right now. I try and tell myself that like, I don't have to make a move. I don't have to know the answer. I don't have to have a conclusive thesis statement about what I'm going to do going forward. It's okay to just sit in it. And I don't have to know the next steps. And I can just, the thing I'm going to be busy knowing right now is that this feels super uncomfortable, super unfair, super draining in about 20 different ways. And that's what I know right now. And I don't have to all know all the next steps. And I actually don't even have to make a decision unless I want to. And when I'm ready to make a decision, when I feel really clear about it, I'll know. That's advice I give a lot, especially around breakups. People write in around breakups, and this is another kind of breakup. You're entertaining a breakup with a friend. When am I going to know it's time to break it off? And I feel like if you're not sure and you don't know, even if you're having the thoughts, it's like, okay, you're at a a stage of processing you're processing something and if you force it right now that will come with its own difficulties but when you're ready to make a move you'll know and it sounds like maybe you don't know right now I think that applies to a lot of romantic relationships and I think it applies to all these kind of messy murky in between situations like sounds like you don't know right now and that can be be where you are right now and it's like kind of It's more uncomfortable, but I think it's more true. Just remembering you don't have to make a move right now until one day you're like, oh, I really want to make a move and I want it to be this one. Then it sounds like it's time. I don't know if that sounds like no duh, but that's something that I need to be reminded a lot. I get a lot of urgency. I got a lot of, I get a lot of anxiety. Like I have to decide. I have to change something. I like to take action. And sometimes the best thing is to like slow down. No action. Don't do anything. Just be busy sitting with what it feels like to be in this position, to be in this kind of relationship. Slow things down. The other advice, quote unquote, I don't know what's advice, but um, like guiding mantras that I find helpful for myself. I always write, uh, I find like certain mantras or just like short little catchphrases really helpful and I often write them like at the top of my to-do list because I'm looking at my to-do list all day long. So I'll put my little mantras there that help kind of center me or ground me and I get to see it, a little flash of it, you know, 10, 50, 100 times a day when I look at my to-do list. And one that I have written up there right now, which is a big one for anxiety, but I also think any kind of conundrum when you're like, what do I do? Something I say to myself, I don't even know where this came from. I just started saying this to myself is like, You're on the train you're supposed to be on. You're on the train you're supposed to be on. Don't steer, just ride. I don't know if that sounds so cheesy, but I say this to myself all the time now. I don't know where this train idea came from, but I think it's a a response to this feeling that like, this isn't the way things are supposed to be. This isn't right. This is wrong. This is a mistake. This is like, um, you know, I've gotten off the track of what is supposed to be happening in life right now. And I heard somewhere this attitude of like, what would it be like if I could fully accept life, accept this moment exactly as it is? What if the thing that's happening and driving me crazy and I'm so anxiously striving for an answer on, what if this is exactly what I'm supposed to be on right now? What if this is actually exactly where I'm supposed to be? What if I'm on the right train? And you are. It's your life. It's your one life. And when a lot, I found looking back at a lot of my huge life conundrums that I was like, why is this happening? This isn't right. This isn't what's supposed to be going. This is such a mistake. This is such a failure. This is such a mess. 
once I had time and space from that, I'm like, of course, that's the thing that needed to happen. Of course, that's the breakup that needed to happen. Of course, that's the meltdown I needed to whatever. Um, Because I learned something because I was processing something because I was growing through something, even in mistakes I made. And it's not to say that I didn't, you know, have things to apologize for or learn from. But like, there was something I needed to learn. And I'm not speaking about just like, being a terrible person and indulging every feeling you ever feel and you can justify anything. No, not that. But for things that are outside your control, for all those things that you can't control, kind of releasing this idea that it's not supposed to be happening. And instead, like knowing you are on the right path, you are on the right train. This moment is supposed to be happening and you don't have to steer it. You don't have to control it. You don't have to do anything. You can just ride. Don't steer, just ride. I say this to myself all the time. You don't have to be in control for these things that are very much out of your control. You can just like ride and experience it and receive. That's another thing I say to myself sometimes. Like I'm not here to control. I'm here to receive. (laughs) I don't know if this is the kind of like direct actionable advice, but I think that this is actually the things that I need to get me through most moments. Slow it down. You don't have to make a move right now. Don't steer. Just ride. And then the biggest theme here I think that I'm working on is, um, of course, you know, setting boundaries with people. If it's somebody who is abusing your time, but you also don't think you can fully extract yourself just like completely and just block them or walk away completely there's some reason that doesn't feel right working on that in-between level of interaction is what's hard you know maybe you have some contact because you're a godmother and you want to honor that or maybe just because you have some level of friendship and love and you want to honor part of that without completely depleting yourself so working on those boundaries maybe you take the phone call sometimes time box it I've got 15 minutes to call and then I'm getting off the phone. Put something on the end of it. I got 15 minutes to talk. I got 10 minutes to talk. 20, whatever you're comfortable with. And then I got to get off the phone. Like give yourself those outs. Another thing I like to do with somebody who's just really a one-sided taker. Um, I find that when people are talking, I do a lot of yeah, mm-hmm, oh, totally, right, yeah, mm-hmm, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. And it's like really egging them on, actually. And I like to make people, you know, try to make them feel comfortable in conversation, which is fine most of the time. But with people who are one-sided, you can't really afford to do that. So sometimes if I'm on the phone or I'm stuck in a conversation with somebody who's being super one-sided, I will completely stop talking. Do not fill the air. Let there be. Eventually, they're going to run out of words. And there's going to be a super awkward silence. Let it be super awkward. Stop making them comfortable with their one-sided conversation. Let it be super awkward. And I kind of, it gives them this opportunity to feel the awkwardness. And maybe they'll say, uh, anyway, what's new with you? Maybe they will. Sometimes they still don't. <laughs> There was someone I used to do this with and we'd be on the phone and they would just talk, 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 talk. And then I wouldn't say anything and there'd be a super long silence and then they would just go, okay, well, talk to you later and hang up. Okay, at least we get off the phone then. Like it doesn't ensure that they're going to start sharing conversation, but at least limit the energy that you're putting into this one way monologue. Those little things can kind of adjust the conversation dynamic sometimes. If it's someone you have to talk to sometimes, you have to be on the phone with sometimes. I doubt that they're fully going to become a better conversation partner, but at least you can limit how much energy you're wasting on them. And that's a boundary thing. The same with time boxing your calls, time boxing your exposure, making yourself less available. Um, even when you're in conversation with them, make your limit your energy there too. If you know it doesn't go anywhere, Tone it way down, way down. Put yourself on mute, maybe. The other biggest thing I would say is that 
in a way, it's kind of nice that this person crossed such a line with um, pronouncing their romantic love. Like, they are in a relationship with somebody, a committed relationship, and the listener who wrote in is in a committed relationship. So I think that feels murkier when it's a friend and it's two girls and you're like, oh, I've got these friend obligations. Like, no, now you're dealing with somebody who is actively disrespecting your exclusive committed relationship and doing really disrespectful, dishonorable things to their partner. And I assume the the listener who wrote in probably knows and respects the other person's partner like don't fucking involve me in your emotional cheating or whatever you're looking to do in a way like that I think is kind of a nice uh opportunity to be like oh this is extremely inappropriate this is extremely inappropriate this is extremely disrespectful I think it would feel more glaring if it was a dude a dude writing to me saying his undying love for me when he knows I'm in I'm dating someone and he also has a girlfriend or a wife or whatever something about that feels more glaringly inappropriate and for some reason it feels murkier because it's a girl and it's already your friend and blah 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 but it's not actually murkier it's still just incredibly inappropriate really unfair to put you in that position um really unfair to do that to all the people involved but in a way We bow to her and we thank her for crossing a line so severely that it's really fair to say something. And I think about that. um, I don't think I would personally, I don't, I guess it depends on the specifics, but I don't think I would sweep that under the rug. I don't think I would ignore it. I think that I would write back or voice memo back or talk in person or on the phone or whatever feels most comfortable and appropriate to you. And just saying like, you don't have to attack them. You don't have to blow it up bigger. You can just be like, that makes me feel super uncomfortable. Um, I'm in a committed relationship. And this really crosses a line. I don't know, whatever the words are, but like that part I would probably address. That almost feels easier to address than them just being a one-sided friend. So in a way, I think it's kind of nice that they gave you something more concrete you can respond to. And in, I mean, I know plenty of people where that's been enough to end a friendship. I knew these families. It was like two families who were family friends, really like best family friends. And then one of the husbands like professed his love for the other wife and that's like a huge, huge violation of everybody's trust and of all the relationships involved. And those people aren't friends anymore. They're not family friends anymore. It was like this huge, like inter-family friend severing. So in plenty of people's lives, that would be more than enough to be like, oh, you don't get to have access to my life and my relationships and my family and my time and my energy and my friendship anymore. The end. I also understand if you're not at that place, But I think it's like kind of a nice opportunity to be like, first of all, be your advocate, be your own advocate. That was incredibly inappropriate. It put me in a really uncomfortable place. I'm not interested in pursuing this. Um, I need you to respect the relationship I'm in if you're going to be my friend. And the this is the space or boundaries or changes I need to see. It's incredibly reasonable. And who knows how they'll respond. But at this point, like they've done something so outside the realm of acceptable that it's already outside the realm of acceptable. And at this point, I think you just need to advocate for yourself. Ultimately, the person who wrote in, it sounds like their friend, like they're lost right now. It sounds like they're really struggling and going through a time and like kind of all over the place. Who knows what the whole story is? It's probably a million things that we could all empathize with and it is not your job to save them it is not your job to save them it's really nice to try and help and support your friends and the people you care about and love and a lot of the time it's not possible even if you have the time and energy I feel for this person that like they're obviously flailing in a bunch of ways and you can care about that while also not taking it on is your duty to save them. In fact, I would say as the person whose boundaries they're crossing, 
you're probably specifically the person who is not able to save them. It's too murky. It's too messy. And it's sad. A lot of the times it's just like, this is sad. Damn. That's something worth sitting with. Like, dang, this sucks. I hate being in this position. Why are we in this position? This is sad. And I probably still care about you. And it sucks that I'm not able to help you with this because of choices you're making and the ways you're treating me. It's sad. I think a little time, a little space, slowing down. I don't think you have to do a black and white, like, call it all off if you're not ready for that. I think there's a lot of middle ground, which unfortunately takes a lot more energy and a lot more intention to navigate. But I think it's usually what a lot of these situations call for. Uh. (laughs) Okay. I'm tired of being serious. I wanted to end. I wanted to end the podcast with something silly. I just like being a roller coaster. I just like being a, a roller coaster of an annoying, stupid bitch who's saying annoying, serious things, and then just a silly, idiot bitch. And those are the two main speeds I have. And I didn't have anything silly to say, so I opened Instagram, which is always silly all the time, which is why I love it. And I just scrolled (laughs) until I found a video. Why is this on my homepage? I found a video of a man in a horse... Uh, gym, a horse place, like a uh, stable, <laughs> a horse gym. Um, it looks like he's in a stable. It's a man in like a, but not like a single stable. When I think of stable, I think of a stall. I think of a horse stall, but I don't think that's what it is. I think a stable is just a indoor gym full of hay and for horses. And he's running through, he's running across this indoor horse gym and a bunch of other dudes are standing around as he tries to cross the horse gym and the bunch of other dudes are standing around with lassos like professional cowboy lassos and trying to lasso his legs to like catch him to catch him like a fish in the horse gym he's trying to run across as fast as he can without getting caught by a lasso and all these other dudes are trying to catch him with a lasso hold on let me play the audio for you Okay, let me tell you what. This is a really funny Instagram. I'm going to post it on her story when this video goes up. I'm going to post it on her story. I'm going to post it on her story every day for like a week or something so everyone can see it. It's really a silly video. Why is this on my home feed? But most of all, can I just say this? First of all, what's happening in this video? I don't care. Second of all, this dude is a huge, this dude is a huge touche. This dude, this this guy has a juicy potato. I actually can't tell if it's real or not. At first I was like, I don't think, by potato, by the way, I mean butt. Uh, at first I couldn't tell if it was real. I was like, maybe, I was like, maybe he's wearing padding in his butt so that when he inevitably falls on the ground from the lasso catch, it won't hurt. But that doesn't make that much sense because he's not really falling on his butt. He's falling usually on his face. I think the butt is real. I think that's true potato. That is a crazy... I actually got to watch this again. Hold on. That is like... That is like the craziest man's butt I've ever seen. That's insane. He got those things up in little shorts. Um, Did I have anything else to say by this? That is crazy looking. Yeah, I think his butt is real. I think his butt is real. I think his butt is real. I don't think I have anything else to say. I think that's literally all I have to say. I'm going to go to bed probably. Pretty sleepy. I love you guys. I hope that this little episode was helpful I usually don't like to make a YouTube video or a podcast episode or do a whole talk on on something until I feel like I've cracked the code. And so this is weird for me. I haven't cracked the code. I don't have the answers. It's an ongoing thing for me, but these are the things that are actively helping me now. You know, whatever. Whatever, dude. I'm I'm learning and growing along with y'all. These are the things I avoid talking about.
because I just feel like a mess. I think with like the support I've gotten recently in therapy from Justin and also like in myself with these little mini revelations I've had, I feel a lot more hopeful than I'd been feeling and that hope is pretty important. I think when you're on anxiety spirals so I hope I got to pass a little bit on to you guys today let me know how you're doing keep in touch with me I'll keep you guys updated I'm not gonna talk about this all the time though because we'd all have to blow our brains out but um I'm in it with you and you don't have to steer just ride <laughs>